You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung pop. Back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And uh, some big news coming out of college hockey over the, the last uh, few days. And uh, whenever something big like that happens, we have to call on Jimmy Conley from USCHO. Jimmy, welcome back to The Pipeline Show. Uh, and the big news here in the offseason is uh, the WCHA is, uh, boy, a couple of years from now might not even exist. It certainly won't look like uh, what we've come to know of the WCHA. What's happened? Yeah, I mean, you've, you've nailed it right in the head. I don't think that we're going to see a WCHA three years from now. Uh, seven of their members, um, and that includes, uh, it's probably easier to say the schools that doesn't include basically the two Alaskas and Alabama Huntsville, but, but that leaves you with Minnesota State, Bemidji, Lake Superior, Ferris State, Northern Michigan, Michigan Tech, and I'm probably leaving one out that, you know, just <laughs> easier. Like I Lake said, Superior? Lake yeah. Superior. So all of those seven schools have decided to form their own conference. And you know, there's a lot of good reasons behind it for those schools, um, but there's a lot of reasons that kind of make college hockey once again maybe look very selfish, very self-serving. You know, if it's not good for you, it's not good for anybody in, in some of these schools' opinions. I'm not trying to hammer them much because you have to do what's right financially for your institution. But it's obvious, it's quite obvious to me that these seven schools are trying to uh, eliminate the costs associated with traveling to Alaska, yeah. uh, which is at least once a year for these schools. And then Alabama Huntsville, that's not an easy trip for them either. Geographically, this WCHA, and don't forget, this league really was the leftovers, if you will, from when the NCHC and Big Ten formed themselves. Yeah. So these were the leftover schools. They didn't fit great geographically. They tried to make a go of it. Um, but at this point, these seven schools know that they're going to move. Uh, I don't believe, and I said this on my own podcast uh, on Saturday, I, I don't believe that when this league actually starts up play, which will probably be three seasons from now, I don't believe it's going to look anything like it does with these seven teams right now. There's a chance that you could see both Bemidji and Minnesota State uh, trying to petition the NCHC to join that league. Maybe it becomes a trade where you send Ohio, I'm sorry, Miami, Ohio and uh, Bowling Green into this new league. Um, there's possibilities that some teams from Atlantic hockey could move over. There's so much speculation that's going to go on with this. Uh, and right now, I just don't feel there's, there, there, it was done very quickly. And, and I think that there, I don't want to say there's a lack of thought, but it, it feels like it was done a little more haphazardly than say when you go back to when the NCAC formed uh, five or six years ago and how thoughtful that process was and how much uh, behind the scenes work that took. This one, I know that there was some meetings held between these schools, maybe some other schools that didn't get pulled along with them. Um, but I think timing wise, they had to start with an announcement that would get a, a clock started on what is a 25-month window between the time they can make an announcement and the time they leave WCHA. There would be financial penalties involved if they didn't start that clock and do it right. So that's a big part of why this was done um, at this time. But uh, like I said, I just don't think that when this league starts playing hockey, it's going to look anything like uh, the league that we maybe are envisioning with these seven teams right now. Well, I know the future of uh, both schools in Alaska was kind of in question here the last two or three seasons uh, because of uh, other financial cost cutting that, that those 
the schools were uh, undergoing. Uh, I know the uh, the chancellor for Alaska Fairbanks, Dan White, is quoted in a story at uscho.com right now that uh, he's kind of he was a bit surprised by this. Yet I, I've talked to enough people and seen reaction on on social media that maybe this was foreseeable that it was coming. Um, so should they really be shocked? No, I don't. I I don't think that they should. Um, if they're if they're trying to say that there was no indication that this was happening, I, I think that that means they've turned a blind eye for too long. Um, you know, obviously their own stability as a program, two programs, uh, both in Alaska, uh, Fairbanks and Anchorage, you know, both of those programs, not on the greatest financial ground. We've heard a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in reality, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't consider myself that great of an insider. And I had heard rumblings of this back in January and had talked to enough people that this was going to happen sometime soon. Maybe it wasn't going to happen the way it did. And I mean, by the teams that are involved, I didn't hear all of those names. I thought they might be more left of the WCHA than, you know, basically three teams. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you're a chancellor or a president or an athletic director in, at one of the two Alaska schools in particular, I, I don't know Huntsville, that, that's kind of unfair because they've done a, a good job of trying to stay the course. They're, they're going to build a new arena there. You know, they'll, they'll have a future home. But I feel like this has the potential to be a death sentence for the two Alaska schools. Yeah. Um, and to not be able to see that coming, I would just say that, you know, so to say that you're not, you didn't see that coming, that doesn't seem uh, totally uh, genuine. I think that there was probably some handwriting on this wall that had to be right. I couldn't believe that either of those schools wouldn't have known that this was a, a quite a possibility. Yeah, the quote is UAF was not notified in advance of this decision, nor are we alerted to the preparation of such action. So I think so. I can I can believe that that they weren't told and maybe they didn't know the seventeenth had been meeting for months behind their backs. Sure, but you have to assume that when you're you know you're a minimum of a seven hour plane ride from any of those schools, maybe even more. I'm not exactly sure. It's been a long time since I'm taking that trip, hmm. but you're a long plane ride away from them. You're obviously showing not the best financial records uh, as a university system, and if if you followed on Friday, I believe that the same day that this announcement came out, uh, the University of Alaska system uh, talked about potential budget cuts that exceeded $100 million, mm. much of which could affect athletics. So they weren't in the greatest position. All that said, and I, I, I want to say this and, and kind of underscore, I am not for contraction in college hockey, no matter what shape a program's in, you can always find a way to save a college hockey program, but it takes a lot of people working together. Um, and talking with some folks after this announcement was made, including Morris Kurtz, who's firm that did the consulting and, and handled the announcement. And he said, you know, it's, it might be just time that if we're going to talk about Alaska and the future of a hockey in Alaska, that it's 60 teams talking about it, not seven. Right. And, you know, he's, you know, that I think was kind of a direct shot at the fact that a lot of what has been done has fallen onto the laps of the the remaining teams in the WCHA. And I think these schools just realized they needed to get themselves away from it. Well, for the next two years, everything stays the same. The uh, the changes will be uh, three years from now or three seasons from now. So I'm sure the next two years will be uh, pretty interesting when those teams all cross paths with, with each other. Now, you've already said you think this could be the end for uh, both Alaska programs. Do you think Alabama-Huntsville maybe just goes – 
uh, independent for a little while. I mean, it geographically, it's a, it's a, a bit of an outlier, just like Arizona State is, and it's worked so far for the Sun Devils. Or do you think there is a, a conference that would take them back? Um, I think that there's always possibility for a school like Huntsville, you know, good track record. Granted, a lot of it was at the Division II level, but, uh, you know, they're, they've committed money to build an arena, which I think is a big step for their program. Um, and I, I've always felt that that's a more involved school. And I, I think maybe that's unfair because maybe I'm not as in touch with the Alaska schools as as, as I should be. And I maybe know a little bit more about the the school, you know, at Huntsville. And I, I just feel like they are just more in touch with what's going on in terms of what it takes to put a competitive program on the ice. They had some great games down the stretch, if you remember this season, uh, in the WCHA. We were one of the tougher teams at, at, at points. But you know, it's it's one of those things that I I don't see them just fading away. They're a team that will be maybe considered by a, a league like Atlantic Hockey. If Atlantic Hockey is a losing member to this new conference, maybe they get pulled in. Potentially, these seven teams maybe go back and say, "Hey, sorry, we didn't mean to screw you over in this whole thing." But you know, do you want to play with our conference? And maybe they find a way to put it all back together. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't. They're not the same financial burden. That is the Alaska schools. That is a very expensive trip for these schools. It's a, you know, there's a lot of money that has to be put out. And I know there's some subsidies and all of that sort of stuff to, to cover some of it, but you can't cover, you know, basically a plane ticket every single year for every one of these other eight schools to fly to Alaska, whether it's Anchorage or Fairbanks. That's a, that's a lot. And listen, I also understand that Anchorage and Fairbanks had some huge, you know, bills that they had to put forward they needed to raise money they needed to find budget just to keep these programs operating that's a big struggle as well so going back to your question though i i think that uh huntsville is a safer bet to to be able to uh keep their program flow keep going um but it's, it's not a situation any of these three schools want to be in speaking of arizona state i mentioned them a little while ago any changes with them or are they content just being an independent well, I think they showed this year that they can be very competitive as an independent program. And, yeah. you know, we have to think that I, you and I have talked about the pairwise many times in the past. And one of the big advantages, and there's not a lot of them, but one of the big advantages to being an independent team is that you get to basically schedule an entire schedule of non-conference games. And, you know, you look at a team in Hockey East, uh, by the time they do it, I believe they end up with eight non-conference games. Big Ten teams, I think, have 12. Some teams, some leagues have 10. Ivy League teams, I think, have seven. You know, so you are basically dependent on your league to be strong. And if it's not, then you kind of go to the mercy of your league and, and maybe fall apart in many ways because of the fact that your league wasn't strong. And no matter what you did in the non-conference world, there wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Arizona State doesn't have to worry about that. Now they do have to hope that the teams that they schedule and the teams that they play will be competitive. They put the schedule this year together three years ago, and who knew some of the teams that were on their schedule ended up being very good teams and and helped their pairwise and boosted them up. And the fact that they were able to you know put together is north of 24 wins you know in that regular season schedule, maybe 24 and 10 I think was their record or something like that. That was enough to get them into the tournament. When if they do get into a conference, maybe they lose that advantage, and that's one of the things I'm sure they'll consider. I have heard, and I know you and I talked a little bit about it uh, over text message, that the the school itself, Arizona State, has some interest in Hockey East, which sounds crazy. You couldn't yep. get a further conference away 
possibly. But you got for Arizona State, every game is a plane flight. They cannot drive to a single opponent anywhere in the United States. So they're hopping on a plane no matter what. Nothing better than knowing that most of your opponents are up in the greater Boston area. There's a non-stop flight from Arizona number of times a day that goes right up into Bogan Airport. Teams that come into them, they fly in. The campus is about seven minutes away from the, the Phoenix airport. So it's it's convenient on both ends. All that said, don't forget that Notre Dame was kind of the, the failed experiment in this. And when Hockey East added them, they thought that it would be pretty easy. Unfortunately, you know, Notre Dame looked at them, they were doing all the travel and the other teams weren't, and they didn't feel that they had a competitive advantage. They bailed, they go to the Big Ten. So I think that coaches in general would like to have an Arizona State and the Hockey East coaches, that is. Um, their athletic directors, their presidents, and those are the decision makers, maybe not as much because of the fact that they've seen this not work with Notre Dame. But the difference between Notre Dame and Arizona State when you talk about the travel is measurable. You're talking about flying to Chicago and driving an hour and a half in the wintertime. The number of teams that got snowed in there, that's not, if you've ever traveled through Chicago in January and February, it's not usually an easy flight. It's almost never on time, and the number of times it gets canceled is, is ridiculous. So that's one of those things that I think that those teams looked at it just the way Notre Dame did. Was, this travel is awful. And Notre Dame, don't forget, was you know, traveling via private plane most of the time. These other schools, some of them, most of them were traveling commercial. With Arizona State, that travel is that those hassles should be nullified a little bit because of the fact that you're going to a good climate. Weather shouldn't affect you as much. Maybe weather in Boston affects you or whatever any New England airport affects you. But it shouldn't be as hard. I think it, it could be a good potential fit. The money that Arizona State puts behind their athletic program fits with Hockey East. Uh, most of the schools there invest, you know, great numbers of great amount of money. The only other league I look at as being as good of a fit might be the Big Ten. Um, but for that, there's an issue probably on the Big Ten side on where academic, uh, where I'm sorry, Arizona State ranks academically. And they tend to favor research institutions, and Arizona State is not considered a research institution. So there's, there's a lot in play, but I think it, it, when you look at conferences, the only two that really are good fits from every uh, possible angle, maybe take the travel off because of the distance and time zones, but I think Hockey East and the Big Ten are the only two potentials for Arizona State. Why not the NCHC? Well, you just I, I don't think that the programs align. When you look at those schools, they, they are obviously great hockey programs, but the budgets of the athletic programs, the size of the schools don't really match up. You know, a lot you know, not a lot of not all of them are state schools and, and not that hockey east is all state schools either. Um, but you know, I think the state school mentality and just knowing that you have you know, don't forget this is you know, one of the largest universities in the United States, Arizona State, in terms of their student population. Right. Uh, most of those schools in the NCAC, a little bit smaller. Um, it could be a possible mix, but they didn't seem interested when the first exploration was done between the, the conference and Arizona State. They, they, you know, came straight out and said, not the right fit for us at this time. Maybe we'll look at it down the road, but probably not the right fit. I don't see anything that has changed in terms of what the NCAC is. They haven't gone out and found some bigger schools to be members. So I just don't feel like it's as much of a fit as, say, Hockey East or the Big Ten could be. 
Anything else happening in the offseason? I know obviously there'll be coaching changes and announcements and, and things like that, but anything else of significance to touch on? Well, I think that the, you know, college hockey has to feel pretty good coming out of the draft. Uh, it was an excellent draft. Uh, a lot of kids taken first round nine total. And then most of those were taken in the top 15, which is a nice little, uh, feather in the cap for college hockey. Overall, I think it was the most kids that have been taken in 12 years, uh, you know, rounds one through seven. So I think that that's a good positive for college hockey. Um, you know, there's other things to be always keeping, uh, near to the ground. One of the big things is that recruiting has changed in the college game. Uh, as of, I think it was June 1st, uh, coaches cannot contact a high school player until they have begun their junior year. So the days of, you know, a, a player being signed when they're in eighth grade or ninth grade <laughs> before they even get to high school won't happen anymore. I think that's probably, a, I know people are going to say that it might not be the greatest thing because you have, you know, major junior trying to get some commitments out of these kids at an earlier age. But I think if a kid has any focus on college, it's good for both the college and the player that you're not going out and trying to get a commitment when you can't get one at age 13, then it becomes a verbal commitment. Then the kid changes his destination seven times before he gets to college. We we all know the stories of those. So I think that that is a, another really good positive step for, for college hockey. And I think uh, we'll see how it goes in the first three to four years. And I'm sure there'll be a, a lot of assistant coaches that have, strong opinions because their job either just got a lot easier or a lot harder. Um, but I think, I think overall that is a good positive direction for college hockey. Jimmy, as always great to catch up with you once again and uh, enjoy the, uh, the rest of summer. We'll, uh, we'll chat in early fall. Thanks. Key, and a happy Canada day to all the wonderful Canadians listening up there above the border. Well, right back at you July 4th, right around the corner as well. Thank you. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO uh, knocking it out of the park as always when he's on the program. It's going to be really interesting to see how that scenario in, unfolds over the next uh, two to three years. And, you know, by then we might be talking about uh, one or two more new Division One teams uh, coming in. And I'm with Jimmy. I don't like uh, contraction. Um, but if it's a shifting, you know, where you get you lose two teams, but you're gaining two new teams uh, and it's a soft. Uh, well, that's different, but we'll see how it uh, unfolds. I, I would feel bad for fans up in Alaska for of uh, either the Seawolves or the Nanox, but it is geographically such a big hurdle for them to get over, and I understand the expenses. Tough one. No easy solutions there for those two uh, programs, uh, and we'll see what happens with the uh, Chargers, too, uh, out of the University of Alabama-Huntsville. That's it for this week's episode. Coming up next week, going to hear from... Uh, WHL Commissioner Ron Robison will cover off uh, all the things happening around the WHL this offseason, uh, what's on the checklist of things to do uh, for Ron Robison and the uh, the WHL going into a year where, again, the league is hosting the Memorial Cup. No TV package uh, last year outside of a regional one in Saskatchewan. We'll see if they're going to be changing the um, online in terms of uh, watching games online uh, to match more the uh, the cost of doing so uh, to what the American Hockey League had last year. And any of your questions as well, you can fire those off to me. Send me your questions for Ron Robison at TPS underscore Guy on Twitter, or you can uh, email them to me, Guy at thepipelineshow.com. Not sure just yet what else will be on uh, next week's show. Obviously, uh, it's Canada Day here, whether you're listening to it late Sunday night or on Monday. Happy Canada Day to everybody uh, in uh, this country. And July 4th is uh, coming up right around the corner as well. So happy July 4th to 
uh, all our American listeners. In the meantime, get out and enjoy some summer as well, and maybe take the Pipeline Show uh, as your uh, podcast in your uh, vehicle as you drive out to the lake or the campsite or whatever you're doing this summer. I hope you enjoy it, but I hope you'll be uh, tuning in for each episode as well, the next one coming up in about uh, five or six days. Until then, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya.